are going to jump into our sermon series that we are going to be in for a while here. Um, we are going to do a study of 1 Peter. So we're going to walk through 1 Peter verse by verse and uh, just see what God has for us as we look at this verse. This is an incredible letter that was written to the church in Asia Minor by Peter. Um, Peter himself is um, a disciple of Jesus. So Peter was a student of Jesus, somebody who followed Jesus, did life with Jesus. Um, Peter later on in this letter will say he's the one who saw and witnessed and was a part of watching Christ suffer, watching Christ on the cross. And so Peter was a firsthand witness. But beyond that, as we even see in this, it says this letter is from Peter, an apostle, that Jesus himself called Peter to be an apostle. Jesus set Peter apart as an apostle. So he went from a student to a teacher. He went from somebody who was understanding and learning to somebody who is now a messenger. An apostle in scripture, we see um, that the apostles that were called, that Jesus called 12 out of his group to become apostles um, after Jesus' death and resurrection and Judas's um, uh, death himself. Um, there was a point where they decided that they needed to replace Judas, so there was 12 apostles. Those apostles were given authority to be messengers of God's word, to speak God's word, to write God's word, that they had, uh, in a lot of ways, uh, uh, an authority and a power resembling the Old Testament prophets. And so this is Peter speaking to this church in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. He's speaking to them, and he's saying, hey, listen, I am Peter. I'm a real person who walked with Jesus. I'm an apostle who's been given the authority to speak on the behalf of Jesus, and I'm writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners. He's speaking to them, and he's directly, these are profound, profound verses. These two verses have an incredible amount of information. There are, we can just read them as an intro, as Peter just saying hi, but there's something so profound that he's speaking to this church. And when he's calling them chosen, he's calling back the idea that the Israelites, as they wandered, as the Israelites moved into the promised land, that they were God's chosen people to show the world that God was real, to show the world God's glory, and to call the world into relationship with God, that they are chosen. So he's speaking to them, and he's saying, you are a chosen people, that you have a purpose, you have a place in God's eternal plan, that there is something that God sees in you, there is something that God knows about you, there's got something that God wants to come about in your life and through your life. He has chosen you, meaning that there's a special attention that's given to you, there's a special favor that's set on you, that is who you are, and you are living as foreigners in, and he lists these different provinces that I'm not going to read because I'll mispronounce them, and so he's living in these different provinces, what he's really saying is it's not just that you're living as foreigners in these lands, it's a spiritual context that he's speaking to them, that you are foreigners, you are not from this earth, in Philippians chapter 3 verse 20, it tells us that our home is not earth, that our home is an eternal home. So he's telling them, you were chosen, you were called out, you were unique, there's a special favor that has been set on you, you are a special people who is living where you are living, and I want you to make sure that you understand that I have a purpose for you where you are. Don't get too attached to where you are. Don't get attached to the things that are happening there. Don't read too much into all of that stuff. Let your heart be set on the fact that you are mine, that I love you, that I have a purpose for you, and where you are. I know that you are there. I know what you're going through, and there's something that is beyond just your normal life that I'm doing through you living there. You're chosen. You're a foreigner in this land. And then he goes on to say that God the Father knew you and chose you long ago. That he knew you and chose you long ago, and his spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. I prefer a little bit the English Standard Version. It says it this way. It reads a little differently in the English Standard Version. It says this um, on the next slide there. It says, according to the foreknowledge. So this is a little bit harder, but I think it's a little bit more accurate to what it's saying. The tense of it, the way that it is in the New Living Translation, I don't think quite gets it right. But it says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. So he knew long ago, in eternity's past, God in control of all things sitting outside of time. He knew you. He planned for you. He planned for your salvation. He planned for you where you are, your destiny, you, your job, your, your dreams, your passions. God knew you. 
And it's not just a, a sense when we look at the word new uh, in, in, in all of uh, scripture. It's an intimate knowing. When we go all the way back to Genesis chapter 4, verse 3, we can go all the way back there where Adam knew his wife. It's an intimacy that there's more to it than just I know the facts. God says, I know the facts. I know where you live. I know that you live in these towns that some goofy white guy won't be able to pronounce later on thousands of years from now. I know those facts, but I also know you. Like, I know you personally. I know your dreams. I know everything about you. Like, I know you, and I have known you since the beginning of time. So there's this deep, intimate relationship that God is speaking to us so that God has a plan for us. And then it continues on, in the sanctification of the Spirit. He's speaking to them and saying that as you are living this life, you're living the life that God has chosen you for, that the Holy Spirit is working in your life to make you more and more like Jesus, that as you go through life, as you trust him, as you lean into this life that God has for you, that the Holy Spirit is working in you. So there's a sense that the Father had a plan. There's this past tense reality that he had a plan for you, and he has a plan. And the Holy Spirit is working it out now, presently, where you are. And then it goes on, when with the sprinkling, and for obedience to Jesus Christ, so there it's, we are being sanctified, we're being more and made, being made more and more like Jesus, so that we can walk in obedience to Jesus, to live the life that he's called us to live, and that he modeled us to live. And then it goes on and it says this, and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. The sprinkling of his blood, I think the New Living Translation, to make it a little bit more readable, they kind of pull it out, and this is the tense. I feel like they make it more past tense. The obedience in Christ, it's not our initial obedience of surrendering to him as Lord and Savior. It's an ongoing obedience. It's a regular sense of committing to follow Jesus every single day in every situation. That I'm going to be obedient. I'm being made more like him. God is working in me to want to be like him, to desire to be like him, to desire the things that he desires and has planned for me. That's what he's doing in each situation, in all situations. He's making me more like Jesus so that I'm obedient to him in each, every day. In my conversations, in my going, in my coming, I'm obedient to him. And then this, this, and for the sprinkling of blood, can be a little bit confusing. When I was reading Leviticus uh, not too long ago, I was reading that in my uh, 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 you know, morning devotions, and as I was reading it, I don't know about you, I was even talking about this with Cam the other day, like reading Leviticus, like sometimes you're reading through and I'm reading on my iPhone, you know, so I'm just like, okay, okay, lots of goats dying, lots of sheep dying, you know, this is like, okay, this is a lot to read, and it's kind of hard to follow, and so I was just kind of blowing through, and then as I'm studying this passage, something profound is pointed out in one of the commentaries that I'm reading, it's speaking to this idea of the sprinkling of blood, that in the Old Testament, whenever blood is sprinkled, it is a sign that life has been given through a sacrifice, and there's three times that blood is sprinkled on people. The first one is at the base of Mount Sinai when the Israelites are standing at the base of the mountain. And they're standing there and they're recognizing who God is and all of this stuff's going on. And Moses comes down. He sprinkles the blood on them to make a covenant with them that you are my people, that you were chosen. Then there's another time that the blood is sprinkled on Aaron and his sons to anoint them as priests. And then there's another time that it's sprinkled in Leviticus. It's sprinkled on people who were lepers. And once they were healed from their leprosy and they had been living outside of the community and not able to connect with friends and family, unable to do their jobs, unable to be in relationship with other people, and therefore unable to be in relationship with God. Their relational aspect of who they were had been broken. But once they were healed, they were restored back into the community. They had to go through this ritual. They had to do these sacrifices. And then blood was sprinkled on them. And once that was done, then their relationship was restored with God. And their relationship was restored with people. And so this is a sense that if you go through and you look here at what the scripture is saying, that God had a plan. And God's plan is being worked out through the Holy Spirit, in your life today, where you are, with what you are going through. 
And that plan of what he's doing and what he's working out in your life right now through the Holy Spirit is to live this life that Jesus has saved you to and saved you for, that he has called you to. And it's a life that nobody and nothing can break or damage because in Jesus, of faith in him, there is a covenant that has been made with you. You have been called as his child, as his son, as his daughter. You are a child of God. There is a covenant relationship through the sacrifice, through the shedding of Jesus' blood that has made you in a connect, connected covenant relationship with him. And in that, you have been anointed as his priest to go into the world and to spread the gospel. And no matter what happens, if you mess up, if you make mistakes, your relationship with God the Father, your relationship with others through Jesus Christ can always be restored, always be made right, that God is continually throughout your life working ahead of you, behind you, and with you everywhere you go. Isn't that profound? And so as we look through this and Peter's speaking to him, it's like, this is what's going on. I want you to hear this. And then he goes on to that and he says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. May in every one of your situations and all that you're going through, every single thing that you're going through, may grace, may God's unmerited favor, may it be multiplied to you. May peace, may you find peace in everything that you do and everywhere that you are, may it be multiplied to you, may it be abundant in your life. Peter's trying to get them to hear and to see, listen, you're journeying in this life and you're trying to figure out where you are and what you're doing and what you're going through. Listen, you can trust the one you're with. That's what he's trying to encourage them. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you're following somebody and you're trying to get to a certain place and you're just trusting them completely to get you there even though you have no clue how to get there yourself. Have you ever been in one of those situations? Yeah, I just recently, I was, I was telling the story last week where I was leading my family through New York City, and uh, it was Michelle's family, whom most of them I didn't know and have not met until this moment. And so I'm walking my in-laws, I'm walking, uh, like, sister-in-law, I'm walking her kids, a baby in a stroller, all of these people through the city, and they're trusting me, who was just there the day before, to get them where we're supposed to be going. And as we're going around, I was supposed to take a left out of Macy's. I took a right. I realized it a block later. And so I went another block. And then I turned right and went two blocks. And then I went right and turned and walked two blocks. And I was like, they'll never know. Right? I, I can trick them. They'll never know that I led them astray. And then as we're walking, her father's sitting there. He's just like, you know that I have a double knee replacement, right? Like I have two fake knees, and you're walking at a quick pace, and we're doing a lot of walking. You said we'd be there in 10 minutes. And I was like, I, I, we're almost there. And as we're having this conversation, he looks up, and he sees the Macy's sign. And he's like, are you kidding me? Did you lead us the wrong way? <laughs> I'm like, you weren't supposed to see that, you know? <laughs> like, that's not, and he's so like in that moment, like I became known to them in a new way. Um, and uh, they, they have nicknames for everybody in their family, and it's, it's goofy nicknames. And so my nickname now is Wrong Way. And so that's what they call me in the family. Um, so it's, it's this thing, it's where you're supposed to be trusting the people you're with. And how many times in life we find ourselves, we're like, man, this job that I'm at, this neighborhood that I'm living at, this school that I'm in. The family that I have, this relationship that I have, like all of these things we can look at. And it's like, I, where am I at? What, what's going on with all of this? Like, how does all of this make sense? And what's the purpose in all of this? And how is, like, I, what's going on? And Peter's telling them and he's telling us as an apostle who has the authority to speak God's word into our life even now. And to the life of this church in Asia Minor. He's speaking to them and to us and he's saying, trust the one you're with. There's moments that you're trusting someone in this life to lead you somewhere and they disappoint you. But he'll never disappoint you. He has always had a plan. He's working that plan out in your life right now. Exactly where you are and what you're going through. And not only is he there with you right now, but he's ahead of you. And he's working things out. And even when things seem like they've gone completely wrong. Even when you've made the biggest mistakes that you possibly can make. God is still there with you. He's still fighting for you. He still believes in you. And there can be an abundant amount of grace and peace in your life. Trust the one that you're with. And then he goes on in verse 3 and he says, all praise to God. All praise to God. 
If you, in your Bible, if you write and mark in your Bible, if you are okay with that, I encourage you to. I always double underline things that are repeated. This we will come back to here in just a few minutes. But this is a profound thing. This is what our life is to be lived for, is for the praise and the glory of God. All of this is happening. All of this is taking place. Understand this profound truth as praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy. It's by his great mercy. He's saying here in this sense of great mercy in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, it says, But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much. It's not that we deserved his favor. It's not that we had did anything to earn his favor. It's that God is so rich in mercy that he gives it freely and abundantly. Have you ever around people that they're just full of joy and they're full of life and like they're just full of jokes, right? They're always making jokes and all that stuff. Like they just cannot not make jokes, right? Or you know, you know, if you know those people, they're just rich with joy. They're rich with jokes and like every situation, no matter how inappropriate it is, they're cracking a joke, right? Because they're just so like, that's what I got to give. That's what I'm going to give in this moment. That's who God is. He's so rich in mercy. He's so abundant in mercy that in all situations, he's always extending mercy. He's always extending grace. That's who our God is. That's who our Father is. In Titus chapter 3, verse 5, it says, He saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us not because of who we are. He saved us not because of the good that we have done or the good that we can do. He saved us because of His mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit. So He's saying in His mercy, He's made us new. And in 1 Peter, going back to 1 Peter here, in chapter 1, it says this, that all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, it is by his great mercy, his rich mercy, that we've been born again, that we've been made new. We are supposed to be new, that there's a sense that we, when we come to Christ, like everything should be new. There should be this revelation. I was just telling my story this week of when I came to Jesus. I grew up in the church my entire life. I think from, what, day two, I don't know, they had me in church, you know. They probably would have had me in church, like literally had me in church if they could have. But, like, like that's, that was, like, the way that, like, that's all I knew. And I got to a point where I was looking for God in people instead of looking for God, right, and all of the things that were going on. I was trying to wait for people to show me God's love, and I was trying to wait for people to reveal to me God's truth. And, of course, I got disappointed and I got discouraged. And so when I, time around, I was around 13, 14 years old, I just said, well, I don't think God's real because I don't see him in the church. And I see people more full of joy and for people and full of grace and happiness outside of the church. And so I'm going to go look for it there. And so that's what I did. And then I was 19 years old and I was sitting in church. I've said this so many times, I was in church on a Sunday night on my own will, which never happened, but I was there on my own will on a Sunday night. Who remembers Sunday night church? Oh, we've been set free. So anyways, so we were there on a Sunday night, and he's preaching, and it's the pastor who I was not the most fond of, and I'm listening to him, and, and, and as he's speaking, I'm just like, yep, this is the same sermon I've probably heard 13 other Sunday nights. And, you know, I'm listening to it, and all of a sudden, it's just, I, I don't understand it. I can't explain it. It was no longer like he was speaking to me. It was as if I heard God speaking to me. And there was something in that moment where it became so real to me, and I saw that it was God who loved me, and that I was looking for him in all of the wrong places, I was wanting him to be seen in people where God was wanting people to see him in my life. I was mad at people because they weren't showing people grace when they should, and I was doing the same exact thing. I was the biggest hypocrite of all. I was the biggest jerk of all. And in that moment, I realized who God was and my need for him. And I said, Jesus, I want to live for you. I'm giving everything to you. I surrendered to him in that moment. And I kid you not, everything was different. Things started changing. A month later, dad took me out to dinner because he's like, something's going on. I want to know what's going on in your life. Like something just changed. There should be the sense that you're made into a new creation. It says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. 
The old life is gone. A new life has begun. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 15, it doesn't matter whether we have been circumcised or not. What counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. And he's, he's come and he's chosen us and, and we are his people and we are known by him. And, and, and this, this home, this place where we are and all of its discouragements and all of its sorrows and all of its riches, all of those things, they're nothing in comparison to the promise that we have in him. They're nothing in comparison to eternity. They're nothing in comparison to the promise that God has given us. We're just foreigners. We're going to be here and gone, but we'll be with him in all of eternity. This place is temporary that's what is going on I'm new I'm no longer living for the job promotion I'm no longer living for that girlfriend I'm no longer living for it Michelle was like what so I'm no longer living for all of these things I'm living for God my heart my mind they're all set to him I've been made new what used to bring me joy no longer does what used to bring me satisfaction it no longer does and as I grow in him those things become even less and less so that I only desire him there's something that becomes so new and so real in me that no matter what is going on all that counts is that I know that I'm his and that I'm living for him that's what happens in us as we become a Christian. That's what happens as we believe in him and have faith in him. If you haven't had that moment yet, if you are not aware of that moment, God wants that to be tonight for you. God is speaking to you tonight. Maybe you're here tonight and you don't want to be. Maybe you feel like I'm the pastor that's speaking that you're not the most fond of. Can I just tell you tonight that God knows exactly where you are. He knows exactly what you're going through. And if you do not have a relationship with him, that's the thing that he desires the most. is for you to know him and to live life abundantly through Jesus Christ. That grace and peace would be abundant in your life. That it would be multiplied to you. That you would live freely and full of purpose and passion knowing who God is and knowing who you are in Him. That no longer do you have to look to people to be just to, to, to have value and a sense of understanding of who you are. You no longer have to list, look to stuff to give you a sense of purpose and identity. You no longer have to long for the words from a certain person to feel like you matter in this world. That the God of the universe, just like Danny said tonight, that spoke the stars in the existence, he knows your name. He knows who you are. He knows your dreams. He knows the depths of your dreams that you don't even know. He has a plan for them. He has a plan for your life. He wants to make your life better and better and better and better and better every day as you say yes to him. That's what he wants for you. And tonight, if that's something that you need, I'm telling you, all you have to do at any moment, it does not have to be at the end. It doesn't have to be when the keys are playing. It could be at any moment you just say yes to Jesus. And he comes in and he makes you new. Why? First Peter chapter 1. Why? Because he raised Jesus from the dead. He raised Jesus from the dead. It was in that moment that Jesus was risen from the dead. It was God's plan. It was in his rich mercy and who he is that he knew us and he knew our tendency, that he made a plan for us and a way for us to be in relationship with him. And he did it through Jesus Christ. And the moment that Jesus died, everything changed. History changed. Our calendar changed. Everything changed. It was all new. In that moment, his plans were revealed. In that moment, all that God wanted to do, it was revealed. It was made known. It changed everything. And because Jesus was risen from the dead, it identified him as God's son. And as you being made new in Christ, it identifies you as God's son and daughter. It makes everything new. It makes everything different and profound. It's a life that we are called to. It's a life that is promised to us in Jesus Christ. Therefore, now, in verse 4, it says this, And now we live with great expectation. Great expectation. That word expectation, it's confident hope. I'm sure that this is going to happen. A great expectation that God is going to show up, God is going to work, God is going to do miraculous things, that no matter what my situation looks like, no matter what my circumstance is, God's going to show up in this thing. 
Because God's working in this thing. In each and every situation, the Holy Spirit is at work. What? For my sanctification. What does that mean? For me to be more like Jesus. That he's at work and as he's working those things out. And I say yes to Jesus. That I'm going to be closer to him. I'm going to be more like him. And I'm going to see this rich, abundant relationship. I'm going to see the truth, the salvation that is given through us. Through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. More clearly in my life. Every single time I say yes. I have that expectation. I have that confidence. I have that belief that God is at work and that he's going to continually work in my life now and in eternity forever. That he's working, that he's got all of these things that goes on and it says this and it says, and we have a priceless inheritance. Now go back, go back, go back. And we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you. That word there, kept, it's past tense. It's there, it's like, it's kept for you, it's already been made, like, his inheritance that he set for you, it's already claimed, it's already yours, it's there, and it will be pure and undefiled, nobody's gonna mess with it, it's not gonna be jacked up, it's not gonna be a halfway promise, it's not gonna be a half-fulfilled dream, it's gonna be beyond anything you can imagine, it's gonna be bigger than anything you can hope for, it's undefiled, it's pure, it's righteous, it's good, and it's beyond the reach of change. Change and decay. It's not going to go away. It is there. It's not going to disappear. It is there. It is yours. That is your inheritance. That's what you have. God has that for you so that you as a new creation, you can hope in him. And what he's saying is, is that your hope, your hope for material things, it is gone. Because now in this life, what our hope is, it's a spiritual hope. In this life, it's a spiritual hope. That I hope and I have this expectation that no matter what I'm going through and no matter where I am, on the highest of highs and the lowest of lows, that God's going to be there and he's working. And then as I say yes to him and I trust in him, the more that I do that, the more I'm going to see of him and the more I'm going to follow and fall in love with him. That's my expectation now. And not only is that, but God, he's so rich in his mercy. Not only are we able to have the spiritual hope and the spiritual reward, but we are also to have a material reward that will be given to us in heaven that is greater than anything we can begin to fathom and understand here on this planet. That's how good God is. That's how rich he is. It should fill us with a sense of excitement every single day. Like we get to say, that's who I serve. He's my father. And that's what he has for me, right? I mean, my kids, when I walk into their school and I've got my stupid iPhone 6S, it's not even the newest iPhone, I walk in there and I open up Snapchat, my kids think I'm the coolest dad in the world. Because I go in there and I do Snapchat with my kids and I do Snapchat with their principal and all the different things and whatever else and put all in all the dumb filters and they think it's just the coolest thing in the world, right? Because I have something that seems amazing to them and I'm their dad and they have access to it. He's our father. All things are his. All things are his. And in all things, he's working them out for our good and his glory. We are able to say he is my father. And in this moment and in this situation, he's working something out. I'm trusting him. I'm looking at him. I've got every reason to have expectation. I've got every reason to have confidence. I've got every reason to have hope because he's my dad and he's got this thing. That's who's mine. And even in this life, if I don't have anything and I die with zero in my bank account and no stuff to my name, but I've lived every day saying yes to him, I am rich in spirit and I'm going to be rich in heaven. Man, there's a joy that should come with that. There's a, there's a confidence, an identity that should come with that. And it ties back into very verse, he's again, just repeating this in verse 1. For, don't forget, you were foreign, right? You were chosen and you were foreign. You were chosen, you were mine, and you're not from here. Desire the things of heaven. Desire, put my kingdom first, right? As you see in Matthew chapter 6, put my kingdom first. That's the heart that he wants us to have. That's the way he wants us to live. To be aware of the promise that we have in him. And then in verse 5, it says, and through your faith, and through your faith, that's another good one to underline right there. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. 
One thing that we need to get here is this, is and through your faith, that God is not going to act apart from our faith in him. God has a plan and he wants things to happen in your life. God has things that he wants to do in you, that has things that he wants to do through you. It's required of us to have faith in him to do those things. He's not gonna force, he's not gonna make it happen. He's not gonna just cram it down on us. He wants us to look to him. He wants us to trust who we're with. He wants us to trust that he's in control and he wants us to have faith. What is faith? Trust. I trust you. I'm surrendering to you. I'm in this moment saying, God, you are good and you've got this thing. He wants us to trust him and see that he's working it out. As we go all through the Old Testament, we go through the New Testament, again later on in 1 Peter and in 2 Peter, all through these different scriptures, we see that God works through our faith, not apart from it. Sometimes we're wanting God to do something and all he's waiting for and all that he is wanting is for us to say, I trust you no matter what it is. Because sometimes we're over here saying, God, I just, if you would just do this, if you just would do this, and he's saying, just trust me in this. Just have faith. You would see that what? God is protecting you by his power until you receive the salvation. That word protecting, it's actually guarding. And if you go through in the New Testament or the Old Testament, you can see in multiple different ways that it's guarding, that it's as if, and it ties in beautifully with the word chosen. It's just, I'm giving special attention to. It's guarding as a guarding a castle. You're watching the gates. You're watching the walls. There's a special attention that is being given. I'm very acutely aware of all that is happening. I'm guarding. I'm ready to protect. I'm ready to fight. I'm ready to stand guard. And I'm ready to keep things the way that they're supposed to be. There's this double idea here is that, that even in the sense that he is keeping you in his kingdom, that he is guarding you, that you can't run far enough from him, that you can't outrun his grace, that you can't get away from him, that you can't, you, you, you just cannot just walk away from God. I mean, you've got to fight. You've got to fight to break his grace and his love for you. And he's saying, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to guard you so that you don't do that. And I'm going to protect you and I'm going to guard you so that things will not come against you. And I will fight for you and protect you in ways that you'll never even know. I was thinking even in Numbers, as they were, Israelites were walking through the desert, this king came and he went to Balaam, who was a sorcerer, and went to Balaam and said, Hey, Balaam, we want you to come and we want you to cast a curse over the Israelites. And so he goes to speak. He goes up there and he comes to the edge of the mountain and the Israelites are down at the base of the mountain and Balaam's up there and he finds that he can't. And as he goes to speak, he actually speaks a blessing over the Israelites. It happens three different times. The Israelites are down there doing whatever they want to, fighting as hard as they can to do their own thing, wanting the things of Egypt. They're trying to walk away and trying to do all these different things. They're fighting against Moses. They're grumbling. They're not happy people. They're miserable people. And unbeknownst to them, God is up there guarding them and protecting them. There's things going on in your life. You can look at your situations and you can look at all the stuff that you know that you're facing. Can I tell you this? There's things that are happening in your life beyond your imagination and God is there protecting. He's guarding. He's keeping you in his kingdom. He's keeping you aware of his love and his grace. He's presenting you with moments and opportunities to be aware of who he is and all that he's doing so that you will walk in obedience and faith to him. My kids today, we went for a run me and Braden did, and Rylan always wants to go with us when we go on our runs, and I always say no, because she's eight, and she's got tiny little legs, and Braden, he's 11, and he's just like built for running, like he's just got this endurance, it's like just crazy, like he just runs and runs, and outruns me, and then makes fun of me for being old, and I try to trip him, and so we go through, and I always wait till the end, like we get right at the end, and I'm like, I try to save enough energy, so I'm just like, race to the last driveway, and I run as fast as I can, and he can't keep up, and I'm like, that's right, I own you still. <laughs> Gotta keep him in his place <laughs> as long as I can. So Rylan today, she's like, I wanna go, I wanna go, I wanna go, and I was like, you can't, baby, you just can't go for a run with us, because like, you, you just can't keep up, and she gets so sad, and these crocodile tears, man, I, they're my kryptonite, I can't say no to him, you know, and so... She starts speaking with a little lisp, you know, Daddy, please, you know. And so I was just like, all right, today, you can go running with us today. 
So we're running, and, you know, as we start running, and we're going through, as we're running, you know, we're like, I kid you not, they have me three minutes into it. She's like, my side, oh, my side. I was like, you can walk if you need to walk. I'll keep an eye on you. And so we do, and so I'm keeping an eye on her, and we're just going and, and running, and I'm looking back constantly, looking back constantly, and, and I get to the point where I can't see her, so I loop back around. And, and so I'm like, Braden, you need to stay with me, you need to loop back around, because he knows, like, he can, he can outpace me, not even with a question. So there's moments where I just let him outrun me, and I'm like, but you always got to stay in a place where I can see you and you can see me, right? That so you can run as far as you want to, but as long as I can see you and you can see me, we're good to go. And so we get to this pace where she just couldn't do it, so I'm running really slow, and, uh, and so I'm just like, I'm just like this, you know, and so we're just kind of going, and she's just like, yeah, my side, my side, and I'm like, it's okay, and so I'm like, Braden, he's getting super frustrated, I'm like, Braden, you can go, all right, you can run ahead, like, keep your pace, and he's like, all right, so he runs, and so he's running, he's running, he's running, and then I can't see him anymore. And so I'm like, oh, my goodness. So I, like, start running, and I'm like, I don't know where he's at. And so, like, I'm like, good. He's a good kid. And so I'm, like, running, and I don't see him anywhere. And then I'm like, where are you at, man? Like, what's going on? So I'm, like, yelling out. I'm like, Brayden! Nothing. Right? So I get really loud. You know how the dads do, right? You drop your voice even louder, you know? It's like, boom, and it's, like, echoing through the trees. And you're kind of like, yeah, that was awesome, right? And so <laughs> yeah, surely you heard me, and there's no response. So I'm like, oh, my goodness. And so I'm like, Ryland, you've got to run. You've got to run. So you've got to come with me. So she starts running behind me, and she's running, and I'm running not quite as fast as I want to be because I'm like, where is this kid at? He knows better, and he never does this. And so I'm sitting there, and, like, in your head, you start playing around, you know. Like, all of a sudden, your thoughts just start going stupid, you know. I'm like, I thought I heard him yell. Man, I don't know what happened, you know, and, like, all this different stuff. And then I'm like, he gets distracted easy. Maybe what if he, you know, and, like, you know, what if he decided to run to Nathan and Crystal's? I don't know. Like, what is this kid doing? And I'm like, all these things are going through my head. And I'm like, what if he fell and hit his head? And I'm running towards the house, and he's back there laying in the woods. And I'm like, ah. So I'm like, shut up. Dan, just go. And it's like, so I'm running, and I'm doing all this different stuff. And sure enough, we finally get to the house, and Ryland, she's just, like, dying. And we get to the house, and as we're at the house, we're sitting there, and I have a note on my foot. That's awesome. Um, so as we're sitting there, and, and we get to the house, and finally he comes out, and the joker's got a plate full of food. He's just walking out eating carrots and strawberries, and he's just like, hey, what's up? And I'm like, now. <laughs> get here now. He's like, what? What did I do? <laughs> I'm like, what's the rule? What do you mean, what's the rule? Mm. You can run, but I have to see you, and you have to see me. I forgot. <laughs> Why is it a big deal? Dude, I was freaking out. I was panicking. I just almost killed your sister making her run a mile. What do you mean? Like, come on, dude. You know, and so then I look at Ryland, you know, and I'm sitting there and so I talk to her and I'm like, baby, when I tell you, you can't come with us, this is why. Right? Like, when I tell you, you can't, it's not because I'm trying to be mean to you and I don't want you involved. You just can't keep up. And things are going to happen, Right? Things are going to happen. And she's like, it would have been my fault if somebody took Braden. And I was like, no, no, no. And I was like, they would have returned him. It's okay, you know. And so, like, you know, so, but I was like, but when I say no to you, there's a reason. There's, there's a reason. There's a rhyme behind this rule. Like, it's not just some arbitrary thing where I've set up something and I'm just like, I just don't want you with us. No, I'm trying to protect you. I'm trying to guard you from things that you don't even know. Braden, he's like, Dad, I don't understand that rule. Like, I'm good, I'm safe. I'm like, bud, you don't know, man. Things can happen so stinking fast. And I told him, I was like, what if you fall in and you would hit your head? And I had no clue. So then I ran home trying to find you, and then you weren't at home. And then what if I decided to go to Nathan and Crystal's to see if you ran there because we were right by their house? And what if I decided to, and all this different stuff, and the whole time you're laying there with your head bleeding? Well, I didn't think about that. Right. I have. I have this rule because I want to protect you. I want to guard you. Listen, God is constantly, sometimes we look at it and it's like he's got these boundaries set up and these things that I feel like I'm supposed to do or not do. And I, all this, like, I just want to just live this life, you know, and I just want to, uh, and sometimes you're going through stuff that God wants you to go through because he wants you to learn the boundaries of your own soul. He wants you to learn the things that he set up because he knows you better than you know yourself. And he knows that if you get into this situation, what's going to happen? He knows if you go too far here, what's going to take place? He knows all of these different things that can take place. And he's there to protect you and guard you and keep you because he loves you. And your life has meaning and your life has purpose. And he's called you and he's chosen you. And he wants you to live this life full on, knowing who he is, 
walking in grace and peace and joy. Don't fight the things that seem to be in your life that are holding you back sometimes. The things that God has put there for you in that season, you want to run and you feel like God's saying walk. Don't fight it. Walk. He's teaching you something. He's protecting you. Like, oh, there's, I, I just want to do this. If I could just do this, then everything would be better. And God is telling me to go do this. I don't want to do that. If it's God telling you to do it, walk in obedience. Because why? He's making you more like him through it. Trust him. Walk in him. Trust the one you're with. He's protecting you and guarding you. Both of my kids now, they're like, I get it. I'm like, Rylan, are you ever going to fight with me if I tell you to not come? She's like, no, Daddy, I get it. I completely understand. She grew. Sometimes you've got to go through stuff so that you can learn the things that God wants you to learn so he can do more through you than he could if you never went through it. Sometimes you just got to go through it. And sometimes you just got to experience the things that God wants you to experience and walk in this life. That's why in verse 6 he says, I promise you I'm going to wrap this up as quick as I can. He says this in verse 6. He says, so be glad. So be glad. The word there that is there is glad. It's to be exuberantly happy. Like to exceedingly rejoice. Exceedingly rejoice that what? There is wonderful joy ahead even though you have to endure many trials for a little while. Walk with confidence, walk with boldness, walk with an assuredness, walk with joy, walk with a skip in your step because you are his child and because he has a purpose for you and he has a plan for you. And even though you're going to go through some stuff that you feel like is not fun or you're going to go through some stuff that you feel like is hard, he's there, he's protecting you, he's making you more like him, he's giving you a reason to see his faithfulness, to see his goodness, that in this, it says, and through your faith, remember? verse 5 and through your faith God will protect you here's the crazy thing about it is is that it's not the faith that you muster up it's just in the moments that you step out and say yes to God in that moment he gives you the faith to say yes and as you see God provide in that moment he gives you the excitement to say yes with all of your heart and then as you see God fulfill that and work in that he then sustains you to say yes the next time something comes up That as you say yes to God, your faith is built. Your faith is more confident that you are made new every single time you say yes to God. Every time you say, I will go there, I will do that because that's where you are and that's where you want me and that's where I want to be. Every time you do that, you get faith. And through that faith, God is protecting you and he's keeping you. So be glad. Why? Because nobody can come against you. Your father's standing there. So be glad and rejoice. Be glad and walk with this sense that there's wonderful joy ahead. You might work in the worst place in the world, but God wants you there to bring grace because nobody else can bring grace there like you can. Walk with joy that that's your calling. Walk with joy that that's your role. Walk with happiness. Walk with exceeding, exuberant joy that that's where God has you. And nobody can rob you of that joy. Nobody can take it from you. Nobody can break you down. Nobody can harm you. Why? Because you are his child and this is not your home and this life and the things that you have in this life, they are temporary and they will be gone. But his love and his grace and his peace and his joy and all that he is and all that he has for you, it will be yours for eternity. That's where my eyes are. That's where my heart is. That's what I'm set on. That's what I'm convinced of. And that's what I'm living for. So I am glad. And I will exalt him. I will praise him. I will walk as a child of God. Man, that's good stuff. Does the worship team come up? Because I've got to end this. I got to. I would keep preaching forever. Part of my hope is, as we go through this verse by verse, that your love for Scripture will increase. Sometimes we can just read through Scriptures like I was talking about Leviticus, and we can just blow through it, and we're just like, ah, man, there's so much richness in God's Word. I'm telling you, we could spend five weeks, six weeks easy just on the first two verses. So much there. Fall in love with God's Word. It says this in verse 7, these trials will show you that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will what? 
bring much praise and glory and honor. What does that go back to? The very verse, verse three, all praise to God. Our lives are being lived as praise to him for his glory. And on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. God is coming back. You can trust him and have faith in him. All that he said he was gonna do, he's done. And all that is yet still promised, you know that he's gonna come through and he's gonna be faithful. Say yes to him and trust him. Listen, some of you, I, I, I know you've all heard this. I hurt my arm a month ago, a month and a half ago. It's like 90%. I'm so fresh air. I just want my arm back. Like, I was trying to cut my hair the other day with it. And I'm like, <laughs> bending over and I'm trying to like cut my, you know, like this or whatever. It's because I just can't quite get it there. One of the most frustrating things to the whole thing is the doctor's like, no matter what, no matter how much it hurts, you just got to keep moving it. You just got to keep moving your arm. You just got to keep moving your arm. I'm like, dude, it feels like somebody's driving a knife through my forearm when I do this. He's like, I know, so keep doing it. Like, you're the worst doctor ever. He's like, just keep doing it. You've got to do it. Because if an elbow gets locked up, it's, it's almost impossible to get it right back where it is. You've got to just, you've got to keep doing this thing. You've got to push through. And I'm like, man, okay, I'm going to keep doing this. Listen, some of you, there's been moments when Jesus has said, hey, I want you to do this. And you've said yes. And it didn't go the way that you thought it was going to. Or maybe you messed up. Or maybe somebody else messed up. And you were discouraged, discouraged, discouraged. And as you sit in your discouragement, here's what's going to happen. You're going to think about it, and you're going to think about it, and your discouragement is going to lead to apathy. And then your apathy, it's going to open the door for temptation. And then at some point, you're going to say yes to that temptation. And then sin now has a hold in you. And guess what? You get further discouraged. And it becomes a cycle. Maybe for you it's not discouragement. Maybe for you it's resentment. Resentment's going to lead to anger. And that anger, it's only going to lead to sin. And then sin's going to lead to guilt. And then guess what? You're resenting the person again. You're resenting the situation again. Maybe for you it's not that. Maybe it's something else. And you're saying, listen, there's things I know that God wants me to do, but I just can't do it. I don't want to do it. Like, it hurts so bad. Can you just say yes? Can you say yes? Say yes to the things that God wants you to do. He's protecting you. He's keeping you. He's guarding you. He wants you to live a fuller life in him. He wants you to know his love and grace in a way that you've never known it before. Stop being where you are. Stop saying no. Say yes. God, I trust you. I trust the one I'm with. I trust you where you're leading me and where you're taking me. Maybe it's not the route that I thought it was. I'm okay. I trust you. I'm going to follow you because I know you're working in my life. I know you're my daddy and I know you got me and I know you're going to keep me. I've tried that before. I've tried to be a part of that before and every single time I get hurt. Say yes again. Say yes again. But don't look for that person or that role to be a fulfillment. Look for God in your life through that. Look to find fulfillment in Him in all of those things. Walk through that with strength and peace. It will still be hard. It's still going to hurt. It's still going to hurt. It's going to be like, ah. But do it. But do it. I can move my arm like this now. I'm telling you, like, I could not do this two weeks ago. I could not do this two weeks ago. I'm driving down 64, and I'm just sitting there, and I'm just going, Aah! like, while I'm driving, and it's probably the stupidest place to do it, but that's what I was doing. Don't hold back. Don't hold back on living your life full on for God, because he's not held back anything from you. When you go through the things that God has for you, when you trust him and you walk with obedience in those things, God will make you into who he knows you to be already. And as you go through those things, you're only going to be stronger. You're only going to be braver. You're only going to be bolder. Like I was chasing this dream and I thought I got there and all of a sudden that dream wasn't it. Maybe it wasn't the dream that God was giving you. He just knew that you would grab a hold of that and get to the next place he needs you. 
Don't let yourself stay where you are. Say, yes, God is working through you. He's calling you. He's leading you. And he has somewhere he wants you to be in this life. And then he has something he wants you to do in this life. And there's an eternity he wants you to walk in joy knowing that he's there with you. God wants you to grow and know the fullness of life found in Christ. And nothing can stop it. In fact, all that happens can only increase it when we trust the one we're with. Tonight, if you can't blow out your heads and close your eyes. If you're in here tonight and earlier when I was talking, you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. He's not your Lord and Savior. There's not a moment where you said yes to Jesus and you just saw yourself become new. You felt yourself become new. Like you just knew that something happened. If you don't have that moment, in this moment, if you haven't already, God is looking at you and he's saying, you're my child. I want you to know me the way that I know you. I want you to know that I'm there for you, that I love you, that I'm protecting you, that I have life for you. If you say, I want that and I want Jesus tonight, if that's you, just raise your hand. I'm not gonna ask you to do anything else. Just raise your hand and say, that's me, Pastor Jamie. That's me right now. See that? Anybody else? Anybody else? Father, in this moment, for anybody that has their hands raised physically, anybody that has their hands raised emotionally right now, and they're aware of their need of you, and they are asking, Lord, for you to be the Lord and Savior of their life. Fathers, we just read in scriptures that when we say yes to you, when we have faith and we confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts that you are Lord, that you died for us, that we are made new. Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that your presence, your love, your peace, your joy, they would be known to them and they would grow in it. Father, we thank you for that. Lord, I pray for each and every one of us in here that has a relationship with you. Father, I pray for each and every one of us right now that we've been holding back, we've been resistant, we've been living our lives for this world and the things of this world, looking for hope and purpose and fulfillment in the stuff of this world. Father, help us to see in this moment that we are chosen, that we are set apart, that we are yours, that you've given us a special attention that you are walking with us, you are walking ahead of us, that you are protecting us, you are guarding us, you are keeping us, and that there is reason for joy in you now and forever. God, may we not say no, may we not hold back, but God, in our faith, may we walk into the life that you have for us with boldness and confidence for your glory. In the name of Jesus, may it 